failure of drug war is glaringly obvious to judges, cops, wardens, prosecutors, and millions more now calling for decriminalization, legalization, the end of prohibition. Let us investigate the century of lies. Hello, my friends. Welcome to this edition of Century of Lies. I'm glad you could be with us. Uh, a little bit later, we're going to hear from a Texas politician, Mr. Kinky Friedman, running for governor. But uh, first up today, we're going to go to Colorado. We're going to uh, visit with Mr. Mason Tavert. Helps head up the group up there called Safer. And I think we have him online now. Uh, Mason, can you hear me? I can, Dean. How you doing? I'm real good, sir. Uh, for those who may not have heard of your efforts up there in Colorado, tell us about the beginnings of Safer. Yeah, Safer is a nonprofit organization based in Colorado that started uh, at the University of Colorado Boulder in Colorado State in uh, response to the alcohol overdose deaths that were occurring. Um, our our and the other alcohol-related problems. Our goal really is simply to educate the public about the fact that marijuana is really a less harmful drug than alcohol, both in terms of its effect on the user and on our society in general. And tell us, uh, the, the first effort I'm aware of was, uh, was it last year that the city of Denver uh, voted to uh, move uh, marijuana down the totem pole, so to speak. Tell us about that effort, how that went. Yeah, after our efforts at CAU and CSU, we decided that we would uh, take this to a more binding level. We worked on an initiative at in Denver called I-100, and it was approved by 54% of voters. And what it did is it simply uh, amended the city ordinances to make possession of up to one ounce of marijuana legal for adults 21 and older, which made Denver the first major city in the country to vote to remove all penalties for marijuana possession. And I, I think that's a wonderful first step, but you did encounter some, um, I don't know, zealots, I guess, within law <laughs> enforcement that, that said they're going to go ahead and just use the Colorado state law instead, right? Uh, yeah, that's exactly correct. I mean, we unfortunately have elected city officials who decided to, to uh, more or less ignore the will of the voters and have continued to allow uh, police and prosecutors to arrest and, and prosecute adult marijuana users in defiance of the will of the voters. So uh, that is why we have now moved on to the state level where we are seeking to change state law. I mean, I should point out that while we are now trying to change state law because of this, we still do believe the city of Denver had the right to do this, uh, but it's unfortunate that... Uh, they were unwilling to to simply follow what their voters had to say. Exactly right. Now, um, there are other, uh, I'm not going to, I don't know, affiliates or subsidiaries or just copycats around the country uh, that see the harms of alcohol and that, that want to bring forward this discussion to compare uh, alcohol with uh, cannabis. And uh, even the uh, state of Texas, University of Texas, had a, a similar vote, did they not? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, what we've been doing is we are not a, really a, your typical membership-based, chapter-based organization. Uh, but what we do do is we work with groups of students and other people in cities um, around the country who either have their own organization, like a normal chapter, or Students for Sensible Drug Policy chapter. And we help them run a safer campaign in which they really try to get a lot of media attention and bring to light the notion that uh, we're currently driving people to drink by punishing them more for using a less harmful drug than alcohol. Now, there was uh, a recent debate, I think it was earlier this week, was it not, between you and uh, representatives of government, those opposing you? Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the, the University of Denver held a debate, well, it's actually held by the uh, NBC affiliate here at the University of Denver, in which I debated Attorney General John Southers, the Republican here in Colorado. Um, Mr. Southers generally just 
was preaching sobriety and and clearly prefers to live in an idealistic world where people don't use marijuana, alcohol, or any other drug, uh, whereas, you know, we are, are simply discussing the realistic world and the fact that these drugs are out there, people are going to be using them, and it should be our government's job to keep them safe and not to tell them what to or to not put in their bodies. Now, I know there have been instances uh, globally where occasionally a coroner will pronounce someone's death to be due to marijuana somehow. But uh, even assuming that there is a small number of such deaths, which I, I personally don't believe, but uh, when you do a comparison of marijuana, its impact on the user uh, to that of alcohol, Let, let's talk about that, that disparity. Uh, certainly, yeah. The numbers we use, I mean, we're very uh, transparent in terms of the numbers we use. I mean, we don't go using the huge 100,000 number when it comes to alcohol because that includes DUI. It includes people falling off balconies and all that stuff, uh, which, you know, someone could make the argument that, that, that marijuana may have a similar role in, in some deaths. Um, but the, the, the real numbers here are the Centers for Disease Control numbers, which show that 20,000 Americans die solely from the use of alcohol every year and zero Americans or anywhere in the country die from the use of marijuana. Um, so this is with regard to long-term health effects as well as acute overdose. Um, as we've seen recently, all the studies continue to show that marijuana does not directly contribute to lung cancer. There's never been a case of lung cancer in a marijuana-only smoker. Um, obviously, there's no marijuana overdose deaths that have ever occurred, uh, but we do obviously see these problems with alcohol when it comes to cirrhosis of the liver, particular cancers, and uh, you know the unfortunate incidents like what we see here in Colorado at CSU and CU, where students are simply drinking themselves to death. And I have, I, I think I mentioned this before, but I think it's worth uh, bringing up again. I have interviewed dozens of cops, uh, law enforcement officials here on this program, and occasionally I ask, uh, well, uh, compare the numbers. How many uh, calls for domestic abuse or, or such have you uh, gone to? Uh, alcohol versus marijuana and of course they they all kind of ponder for a moment and say well i i can't actually think of a time when i had to do it for a marijuana uh, yeah, intoxicant. No, it's, it's generally the case. I mean, you don't really see people who are smoking pot get into fights at bars or uh, hit, hitting hitting their wives or their children, uh, sexual assault, date rape, property damage. I mean, these are all things that, you know, while clearly people who might use marijuana might engage in, uh, it's been found that marijuana is not a contributing uh, factor in these. But without a doubt, all the studies show that alcohol does indeed contribute and make more likely these types of problems uh, solely as a result of its use. Now, uh, insofar as the debate, uh, if you will kind of summarize the, how that, the give and take, how that went. Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, this is uh, it was not a new confrontation. Me and the, the Attorney General have, have debated before. And the Attorney General is simply uh, an old-school prohibitionist. He actually acknowledges that alcohol prohibition was was a good idea and would have been a good idea to maintain. But he, he is willing to concede that because we have now come so far since then that we probably couldn't go back. Uh, but, you know, this is a guy who admits to coming home and drinking wine or having a, having a, a beer or cocktail, but is just simply unwilling to respect the fact that some adults would prefer to make the safer choice to use marijuana instead. And the way he tries to say that it's okay for him, the way he more or less justifies his hypocrisy, is by saying
saying that he can drink alcohol in quote sub intoxicating doses, uh, but it, according to him, if you simply take one puff of a joint or if you take a ten foot bong hit, it's apparently the same thing, and you're high. Um, Clearly, anyone who's used both of these drugs knows this is absurd. Saying you're sub-intoxicated is like saying you're sub-pregnant. I mean, either you are or you aren't. <laughs> and uh, this is a guy who, you know, whether he, you know, he clearly doesn't drink non-alcoholic beer, and he clearly chooses to drink, you know, a glass of wine instead of a glass of grape juice. Why? He likes the way that alcohol has an effect on his body. And I, I you know, to tell you the truth, I don't blame him. Adults should be allowed to use alcohol in moderation if they're being responsible. Uh, we simply don't see why he has a problem with people using marijuana instead. Uh, you know, your statements from that uh, attorney general kind of remind me of uh, uh, something that was put forward by President Nixon some uh, 30, 35 years ago. He said, people drink alcohol to feel better, but <laughs> but they smoke marijuana to get high. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and uh, you know, I, I we need to define some words here, do we not? Uh, well, th there was also uh, a recent challenge, I guess, to the, the was it to the uh, state attorney general to uh, drink a certain amount, and you would smoke a certain amount and see who could be coherent the longest. Is well, yeah, it, it was close. We actually uh, offered this up to the mayor of Denver, who is, uh, you know, more or less the chief uh, enforcement uh, law enforcer here. By you know, he's the one who hands down the orders to the police and has refused to tell police to stop citing and prosecuting adults for marijuana following I-100. Uh, so he happens to also be the owner of the largest brew pub in the country. <laughs> uh, you know, we think it's a little ironic and a little a little uh, hypocritical that he has made his living and made a profit selling alcohol but refuses to acknowledge the fact that some adults might prefer to stay home and smoke a joint instead of come to his bar and get liquored up. Um, so we we posed the challenge to him as well as uh, former Senate candidate Peter Coors, um, who many people know as the, the so-called beer baron of Colorado. Um, uh, we challenged these men to simply come out and, you know, they're both people who oppose our initiative they oppose marijuana legalization apparently and we said you know if, if you're able to sell your product but you don't want people to use this other one then you know put your mouth where your money is come out and <laughs> and you drink your product we'll use ours and we'll see who's standing at the end of the day uh clearly neither of these gentlemen decided to come out we were out there with boxes and boxes of Coors beer as well as wine coop beer that's the the mayor's brew pub uh and we also brought a, a little four pack of strawberry daiquiri wine cores in case the attorney general decided to come but uh, unfortunately, um, these guys all felt that, uh, you know, they couldn't do this because clearly if we did go hit for chug, as we put it, uh, they would probably die. Uh, clearly, that can't be said for the person using marijuana. Absolutely. And, and again, it does show uh, the hypocrisy and, and, if you will, the corporate interests involved in keeping marijuana uh, illegal. Certainly. Um, you know, while we have not seen the alcohol companies be directly uh, influencing this issue in terms of, you know, strictly trying to defeat initiatives and so on, it's clear that, you know, our, our public officials have no problem taking money from alcohol. I mean, for example, this is the best example. Marilyn Musgrave, who is a Congress uh, a congressional member up in the 4th con Congressional District here in Colorado, she uh, represents an area that has been marred by alcohol problems, uh, alcohol-related 
deaths, the death of Sam Spady, uh, as well as what was recently reported as the uh, above average rate of rape and sexual assault, um, one of the highest in the nation. And, and of course, when they went to the police and said, well, can you explain why this small little city has such an above average rate of rape? They said, well, this is a college town. There's a bunch of alcohol use going on. Uh, well, why is it that the woman representing this area is taking tens of thousands of dollars, not only from Anheuser-Busch, but also from the National Beer Wholesalers Association, which is, uh, while they call it, claim to be the Beer Wholesalers Association, they are the primary lobby for the uh, beer, wine, and liquor industry. Uh, it's, it's clearly, uh, it's, it's not good representation, it's not good politics, it's not good policy, and we're going to expose it for the hypocrisy that it is. Well, and I say good on you. I, I think you're doing an excellent job up there um, showing a good example for others, uh, a means to expose this hypocrisy uh, on a local level. Uh, Mason, if you will, give us your uh, website. Absolutely. Uh, currently, we have a couple websites. The the more important one now, given the, the statewide campaign we have going on, is safercolorado.org. Uh, we have a blog up there that's being updated daily. It's, we try to keep it as funny as possible, which is not hard with the opponents we have. Uh, and we also have saferchoice.org, which is for our organization as a whole in terms of the educational work we do. All right. Uh, well, with that, I, I think uh, we'll get back with you soon. Uh, as the election season approaches here, we're certainly going to keep our eyes and ears open to uh, your success. I, I think you will have up there. And uh, Mason Tavert, uh, Safer, I thank you so much. Thank you, Dean. All right. Uh, you know, earlier this week, I got a chance to uh, go to the University of Houston. And uh, Mr. Kinky Friedman, some may uh, have heard, is running for governor of the state of Texas. And I got a chance to talk with Kinky and uh, hear his opinions about uh, decrim. I've heard your comments about decriminalization. I, I think that's an excellent idea. But uh, the state of Texas is uh, talking about building more prisons. Just this morning, the Houston Chronicle says they're going to uh, expend a quarter billion dollars to build a new Harris County jail. Is it, your thoughts on the drug war and uh, perhaps the waste of our, our taxpayers' money? Well, it's not perhaps. It definitely is. Uh, decriminalization uh, is misunderstood by some people, deliberately, in fact. Uh, decriminalization just means <laughs> that, that we admit that we've lost the war on drugs and we do something smarter. Uh, California's done it, in fact. Denver has done it. Uh, there's places, I think Oregon has done it. And all it means is that you're going to be smart about this. Uh, I've given a challenge to people. Go to your favorite FBI agent. Find a DEA agent anywhere. Ask the guy off the record. Kinky Friedman is saying we should decriminalize marijuana. Is he right or wrong? They'll all say, I'm, I'm positive of this, every one of them will tell you that it's crazy to keep doing what we're doing because we're spending billions and we're wasting so much manpower. And what, what's the result? A kid screws up his entire life with a stupid mistake, and if he goes to prison, then he's in that system, and that's what the prisons are full of right now. And what I want to do is clear them out, put them in rehab, or put them in some kind of drug treatment, and, and spend the money on education and treatment uh, instead, of, uh, instead of doing what we're doing now, saying it's against the law. So it's not... I mean, if you're a big-time dealer or a smuggler, you're still going to get hammered. Uh, but if you're somebody who makes a mistake, uh, we're not going to put you in jail this time. Uh, we're going to work with you. And I think that um, we need room in the prisons for the really bad people. And they are pedophiles and politicians. Thank you, Mr. Friedman. 
I think uh, Mr. Friedman's looking at this uh, uh, with both eyes open. Uh, touring with Kinky Friedman was the former governor of the state of Minnesota, Mr. Jesse Ventura. Kinky was so busy I didn't have a chance to uh, interview him for very long, and I uh, walked up on Mr. Ventura as he was doing another interview and uh, got a chance to hear his thoughts about the drug war. Let's go ahead and tune into that now invaded that country and turned over the government at the point of a gun that's the same thing the Nazis did it's the same thing the communists did and now we do it that means we're no better than them <laughs> uh, Governor Ventura, I was, I was hoping to do just a little bit, uh, uh, continue our discussion about the drug war a bit. Uh, I, I'm a member of law enforcement uh, against prohibition. Police believe officers, that police officers, officers former yeah, justice officials. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've we've come to the conclusion that the drug war is an absolute abysmal failure. It is. Your thoughts, sir? Oh, it is a total failure. It's a failure because they fight it on the supply side rather than the demand side. If you're going to conquer drugs, you're going to conquer them by education and getting people not to use them. And the minute because we're we're supposed to live in a free society here. I mean, in the U.S., I bet you if I want to, I can go out and find a 50 caliber machine gun out there somewhere. If I got enough money, somebody's got one. So how in a free society can you control a substance? And, and you're going to expend all your energies and your assets in attempting to control that. Simply educate the public. And if the public so chooses to be stupid, I used to always say in Minnesota, you can't educate, you can't legislate stupidity. Now, and, you know, and if someone's stupid enough to use drugs, there's nothing you can do that's going to stop that. And not only that, you, you know, I, like, 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 let's venture out and say drug testing for a moment. Excuse me. If they want to enter my house, they have to get a search warrant and have probable cause. How can we allow them to enter our bodies? Without a search warrant or probable cause, what it does, what the whole war on drugs has done, it's created a new element of criminals. It's filled our prisons up with nonviolent offenders. While we sit and let child molesters run free, we put drug users behind bars. And it's kind of how do you commit a crime against yourself? And that's in essence what they're saying, that you're committing a crime against yourself. Now, if somebody uses drugs and robs the bank, then prosecute them for bank robbery. I don't care what motivated them to do it. If they were under the influence, tough luck. Prosecute them for what they do wrong. But to me, how can they put you, how can a free country, a free place, tell you what you cannot take or put, you know, use? In this time of terror, so to speak, we waste $70 billion a year on law enforcement, I hear. We give 400 to $500 billion to the terrorists, the cartels, and the street gangs to provide us with recreational drugs. Let's talk about the economic impact. Well, the economic impact is simple. Legalize them and tax them. The same we do with tobacco, the same we do with alcohol. Then you can take that money that you get, that, that it brings, and you can actually use that money to cure. You can use that money to help solve the problem of drug addiction. And, and rather than now, today, they take it from the general fund and do it. This way, let the drugs themselves pay for the problem. It will work a whole lot better.
uh, several of the ex-drug czars, including Robert DuPont, make their living these days as a major stockholder of these urine companies and touring the nation, calling for daily urine tests of every child. Your thoughts on that? I think it's horrible. Like I said, we live in a country where you, if they were to enter your house, they have to go to a judge, they have to have probable cause and get a search warrant. How is your house more sacred than your body? And not only that, but what else are they checking for? When they do a drug test, they may tell you they're checking for drugs, but they may find out through that test that maybe you're a borderline diabetic. Maybe you're this or that, and you could lose a job over that. Over the fact that, well, maybe they find out that there's something that you have a health problem or something, and, and they don't want to hire you because of that. I think drug testing, again, it's a violation of our civil rights. I understand that in Afghanistan now, under U.S. control, there are some three million Afghanis making their living growing opium. And yet here in the U.S., we arrest 1.8 million each year for baggies of plant products in, in their pocket. How deep is this hypocrisy? What will it take to shake the U.S. Congress or some authority to stand forth against this abomination? Well, first thing, you got to have politicians with spines. You got to have politicians with courage. We don't have that. You know, it's easy to sit back and let the status quo happen. It's difficult to stand up and do what's right. We don't have many elected people who will stand up and do what's right. I, I, and again, economically, it's ridiculous that we pay all this money to enforce this when, when we could be taxing it all. You know, and, and I'm not saying you put it in the 7 Eleven stores and all that. When I talk about that, you, you'll get a better hand on who, the, who has a drug problem if you know who they are. And not only that, it's safer for everybody. If you've got needle, well, let me give you an example. Here's a great example. I was in Nevada a couple years ago and they were doing ads on TV stating that 67% of the Nevada 14 year olds had tried marijuana. And yet, 33% of the Holland teenagers had tried marijuana. What they didn't say in the ad was that marijuana is legal in Holland, and it's illegal here. And yet, we have more 14-year-olds trying it here where it's illegal than they do where it's legal. Now, that runs right in the face of what our government tells us. Our government says, oh, if you legalize it, everyone will use it. Well, Holland and Amsterdam shows that's not not so. When it's legalized, less people actually use it. But they don't want you to believe that because too many jobs depend on the war on drugs. Now, an international involvement. You, you say you uh, live in Mexico quite a, a bit of the time now. Uh, a few months back, uh, President Vicente Fox tried to put forward a bill to, in essence, uh, take away the, the, the onerous uh, measures for their drug possession. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, what the president tried to do is get a handle on their problem in Mexico, and what he tried to do was make small amounts of any drug for an addict. They wouldn't be arrested for it. That they that, that it was an addiction, and you know should be treated medically. The reason he didn't sign it is because of intervention by the United States and pressure from the U.S. The U.S. doesn't want to suffer the... And, and I'm outraged over that. How dare the U.S. tell another country how to handle their problems? How dare the U.S. influence down in Mexico? If that's the way they want to deal with their problem, they should be entitled to do so without U.S. interference in it. And yet that's what happened. I hope Fox sent the measure back to be rewritten and it's coming back to him before he gets out, I hope he signs it into law. Because if that happens here, it's very soon going to happen probably in Canada too. And when that happens, it'll be only the U.S. then that'll be on the island of it.
Yeah. Now, in uh, Colombia, we've spent some $4 billion, I believe it is, in spraying the coca crops and trying to squelch the flow of cocaine. As you say, you can't stop the supply side. But again, another waste of U.S. taxpayer dollars, uh, more drugs than ever before. How, how pompous are we to think that we can accomplish ridding the earth of these drugs? Uh, I can't answer that. You'd have to talk to the people that do it. I can't answer that. I mean, I don't know. I, I'd love to give you an answer, but I can't give you one on that. You better talk to them. But a lot of people out there know the truth about this. They they uh, they see the the horrors of this drug war, and yet they remain silent. Well, they remain silent because you have you have a very oppressive government here that you're not really allowed to speak out against now, are you? I mean, that's what we're running into today. The, see, the war on terrorism. I hate to tell you this, but I believe the terrorists are winning. And I say that before I get reprimanded for that. They're not winning on the battlefield. They can't beat us on the battlefield, you know, with our military and our might. Where they're winning is they're changing America. And that's what they originally set out to do. They wanted to change America. They are succeeding. We're now wiretapping again, like back in the old days of Nixon. We're doing all this stuff. We're taking people's rights away from them, left and right. And they always tell you it's for your own safety. We're doing this to protect you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, think of this for a moment. Hurricane Katrina, they knew was coming two weeks in advance. And they couldn't protect New Orleans from nothing. How are they going to protect you from terrorists and all that stuff when they don't tell you when they're coming? So anyone that believes that somehow the government is going to protect you, I think you're better off protecting yourself and have that discipline to do so of paying attention and all that. And getting back to the drug thing, you know, what will it take? It'll take people, I suppose, like me to get elected that have the courage to bring it up and to uh, bring it forward and, and look at it a different way. I almost lost the election in Minnesota. They thought I'd blown it when I came out and said I couldn't figure out why drugs and prostitution were illegal. And think about prostitution for a moment. The only reason it's illegal is because the government generally don't get a cut. Because you can go out as two consenting adults and have any type of sex that you want. But the minute there's an exchange of money is when it becomes illegal. Well, that tells me clearly it's not the sex acts that are illegal. It's the money part. And that's because the government's not getting their cut. All right. Well, uh, Mr. Ventura, thank and you so much. drugs are the same way, pretty much. It's not a holocaust. It's not genocide. It's not exactly an inquisition. This policy of drug war, hell-bent for eternity, has left more mass graves than any despot. Tens of millions of lives not taken, but rather life potentials destroyed by our policy of drug prohibition. Prohibition promises to protect our children until they turn 17, when they become meat for the drug war grinder.
meat for the drug war grinder. 1.8 millions, uh, 1.8 million Americans arrested each year for bags of plant products in their pockets. I, I want to thank Mason Tavert of Safer, saferchoice.org for being with us. Uh, I, I urge you to tune in to this week's cultural baggage program. Our guest will be Dr. Mitch Earlywine talking about his new book, Pot Politics. I want to welcome two new uh, affiliates to the Drug Truth Network, WAIF in Cincinnati, Ohio, and KCWU in Yakima, Washington. also want to thank KEIF, who tells me, uh, and Enid, Oklahoma, who tells me they uh, have received great response from using the 420 reports. They're now going to start carrying the cultural baggage report. I ask any of the program directors or station managers out there auditioning our show, give me a call. I'm really running out of time to keep up with you guys. Let me know if you're carrying the Drug Truth Network uh, uh, coverage. Uh, you are the answer. I say that every week because you are the one who will get this done. I can't do it by myself. I need you to stand up. I need you to say the emperor has no clothes. I need you to get involved in your local and state and federal politics. I need you to stand up and speak the truth. I bring you the words of judges, congressmen, scientists, doctors, lawyers, Nobel laureates, you name it, people willing to talk about the subject. I offer cash money to any drug warrior who would come on the show and defend the policy of drug prohibition, and they absolutely refuse to do so. So it's up to you. It's up to you to break this mold, to stop this inquisition, to do your part. I urge you to visit my website. I have a couple of them, drugtruth.net. There you can hear hundreds of these programs. If you really want to get involved, if you want to do your part, please go to endprohibition.org. There you have links to uh, more than a dozen drug reform organizations, and you can do your part, endprohibition.org. And as always, I remind you, there is no truth, justice, logic, scientific factor, medical data to support this. We've been duped. The drug lords run both sides of this equation. Prohibido is stock Ivalesco. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Dean Becker asking you to examine our policy of drug prohibition. The century of lies. The show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston.